to the Stay at Home Mom Yarai podcast. You are about to listen to my mom. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like it, please give it five stars. Thank you. and welcome to the stay-at-home mom yeah right podcast i'm sarah smith your host and i'm so excited to be joined by laquita monley she is a army wife and mom of five grandmother of five who like most moms has their hands in many things she operates in purpose and expertise as a savvy real estate investor business coach mentor podcast host and intentional speaker welcome to my podcast laquita Oh, it is so great to be here, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. How are you today? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Can't complain. I've, I figured, I found out that complaining serves no purpose. So it's a great day. <laughs> it is. I hear that. How has this pandemic <laughs> been for you and your family? You know what? Um, honestly, this pandemic has been a blessing to us in a lot of different ways. Um, my my children are older, so all of them, except for the baby, you know, adulting, attempting to yeah. adult. <laughs> They're in their early 20s. So okay. um, the pandemic caused them to come home, um, to move closer oh. back. So especially with my oldest son. My oldest son had been gone home, away from home for a number of years. And his coming back to the house was definitely something that um, that we needed. And you really didn't realize you needed it. But along the journey, it was really, really good. So learning how, built a relationship with them as adults yeah. versus the relationship between us and them as children. So that was very refreshing. What were some of the fun things that you all were able to do together? Tell stories of the stupid things they did and thought they got away with. <laughs> right, right. It's like, mom and dad, you remember when this happened? Well, this is what really happened, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, we're adults now and you can't say anything. And we, oh, yeah. uh, when they were younger, being a military family, we spent a lot of time traveling to different duty stations and whatnot. So word games, board games, different things like that became something that we really liked. And we're very competitive. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, you know, fun. it's fun times playing board games in the evenings and um, trying to figure out what recipes we're going to come up with. And just, um, it was just all around, like, you know, we did the things with them that we did when they were younger, but again, experiencing them as adults and seeing them as yeah. adults and relating to them as adults. Uh, that was the big key takeaway for us. I love that. That's so fun. That sounds like so much fun. I can't even imagine that world. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's different. It's different yeah. because, you know, in your mind, I don't care how big they get. I'm your mother. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're having this conversation with your son or your daughter about their significant other. And you're thinking, wow, okay, we can yeah, have this. Where did the time go? Right? right. Right. It's like, oh, we can have this conversation now. That's weird. But all right, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> so you're a military wife. Um, how did you and your husband meet? So we are high school sweethearts. We <gasps> met. <laughs> I love that. We we met when I was a um, freshman, and he was oh a senior. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful! It, it's been so amazing. We bless God for the journey. Um, yeah. You know, I was fifteen at the time; he was seventeen, and we are not fifteen and seventeen anymore. So no, I have a fifteen-year-old <laughs> daughter right now, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> like wow, like I can't imagine. <laughs> right, right, like. Um, Sports was the thing that connected us. I played basketball. He loved to play basketball. And with our relationship, it was no pressure. We found things in common that we liked that mm -hmm. caused us to like each other um, outside of, you know, we were, you know, grew up in the 90s. So outside right, of all yeah. of those other pressures of the day that was taking place at that time. And the relationship has, is grew. It has grown. It still grows. You know, we're new empty nesters. So now we're... Wow. We're looking at that next phase of growth together.
So how many years have you been married? Oh, my word. We have been married for 24 years. Okay. And we have been together. Thank you. And we've been together for 29 years. Wow. We've been together since 1992. I love it. God bless you guys. I love that. That's so fun. So what was it like having him? Is he still in the military or is he retired? He is retired. Praise God. He, he did do 24 years active duty. Um, wow. he's, well, let me say he's semi-retired. He took off his green uniform in March of 2017 and he put on a suit and tie and he okay. still works for the army doing the same thing that he did <laughs> when he was active duty. So he traveled a lot overseas. Did he um, have to go to Afghanistan at all or? Yes. Okay. He has, um, in 2003, for the initial invasion of Baghdad, uh, my husband was a part of 4th ID, so he did make that initial invasion of Baghdad with everyone else at that time uh, from 4th ID. He's been to Iraq four times. He's been to Afghanistan, uh, Turkey. I mean, he's so we've we've had that life as a as a as a military family where we've experienced deployments. You know, he entered into the military in those uh, early 90s, right after Desert Storm. But unless you are a part of the military, it's a lot of pieces that people don't realize. Wherever we've been in conflict, we're still there. We don't leave completely, no matter what they tell you on the news. We don't leave. So those rotations were still going on in 93, 94, 95, 96. People were still going to Kuwait. People are still going to Kuwait. It's not a battleground anymore, but at that time, there were still little pockets going on. And so um, when he first initially enlisted in 1994, Kuwait was a real thing. Uh, the conflicts in Kosovo and Bosnia, that was a thing when um, when we were young military family um, that he had to take part in. So it's he's, ta- he's taking part in quite a few things, but uh, to God be the glory, he's always placed you know, key people in our lives that we needed, Mm -hmm. even though we didn't know we needed them. And it helped us. It helped us grow as a family. It helped us stay married. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've done that. uh, We've done that deployment with, uh, with that conflict that was being fought on two fronts and, you know, um, it's war, so bad things happen, but we've learned to be able to look past that and understand that your perspective is your reality. So, mm. yes, daddy's doing this and daddy's doing that. But the one thing I can say that my husband is, is intentional. And even in the midst of a conflict, his intentionality concerning making sure that he stayed in contact with us by whatever means was necessary was something that he did. And so like, for instance, during my oldest son's, he got his birds and the bees conversation with my husband via Yahoo messenger, video message back in the day. It's like, wow. you know, (laughs) He'd had a a, technology. (laughs) Yeah. Thank God for technology. Right. (laughs) You know, he, he went to school and came back home with some questions and I was like, what? No. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and dad happened to call and I said, Hey, you need to talk to your son. Yeah, I can't I do this. One. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, you never really hear so, what's going. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you never no, really hear you never really hear what the families go through while the um, significant other is away on active duty. Can you tell us um, what exactly it was like when you heard that he had to go away and then how you told your children and what that mm-hmm. feeling was like and what you guys went through during that time, even though you had technology, it, what did you go through? Yeah, it was, it was really literally like a, Mm, like a gut punch, like all the air in your body leaves, you know, you have this feeling of hopelessness because there's no promise, right? We all know that we're not promised tomorrow, but somebody's literally trying, their objective in life right now is to kill you. So what do you do with that? And it it doesn't matter 
you know, at that point, it doesn't matter what they do for a living because in the military, across all of the branches, the same things that you and I do for a living in the civilian world is what they do. So they have everyone from the electrician, the carpenter, the person that drives the tanks, the person that puts the gas in the vehicles, you know, it's more than just bullets and guns. Mm -hmm. So, but all of that is needed to create the infrastructure needed for the soldiers to go in. So you've got people that are building bridges. You've got engineers, Army Corps of Engineers. Are they dodging the bullets? Absolutely. Because they got to lay those roads down. They got to lay those bridges down. You know, people carriers have to take the people in. And so, whereas you're what we call garrison when you're at home and no war is going on, we're happy nine to five. You know, we see our spouses just like uh, you would see your spouse. He went to work, right. he came home. Hey, baby, how was your day? And now he's not. So it was like, wow, you know, and my husband's job is a military intelligence analyst. So his whole job is to know what the enemy is doing and what we need to do to stop them from doing it. So it's like, okay. (laughs) He has a big job. (laughs) It's like, hey, what do we do with that? And so the military provides support groups uh, in the army. They're called family readiness groups. And some are good and some are not good. But you have groups of, uh, in these family readiness groups, you have spouses, family members, husbands, wives, because a lot, oftentimes, um, our female soldiers, and I have to give a shout out to some of my friends who are proud, females that are proudly serving, and they go to war just like the men. They leave Mm -hmm. their children just like the men. And so here I, you know, you have these husbands and wives that are having to comfort each other while their husbands and wives are going off to serve their country. And so we make the best out of a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that it's covered enough because when you're left, when you're the, the one that leaves has a big job, but the one that's left behind. So right. I have to not fall apart because I can't see my, I can't allow my children to see me fall apart. Mm-hmm. Or like my husband was in a position of authority, a super, like a supervisor. So he had people under him. And because he had people under him, then that means those spouses would also look to me and say, hey, Miss Monley, you know, have you heard from them? Has, uh, has um, Sergeant Monley reached out? You know, what are they doing next? What can we do? Uh, can you talk? You know, so you have that. Those avenues are there. Um And like I said, you know, some are good and some are not good. But the ones that I was blessed to be a part of were really good. Um, Mm -hmm. Between between the the support groups, the technology, um, and my church family, I can honestly say that our family overcame those adversities um, very well as compared to some other people. I never hear about the the spouse and the families. Like all I see is yeah. them coming home on the news, you know, and I cry every single, every single yeah. time I see that on the news, I start crying. Cause I'm like, this is the most beautiful thing. And now you see it, you know, on Instagram, like the brother surprising the little brothers. It's just so yeah. beautiful. And it's it's, just, but you don't know what happens between that time mm-hmm. of them leaving and them coming home. It's, it's, you know, really it's indescribable. Like, you know, with tech, with social media being what it is now, I wish that during those times um, that we could have chronicled, like spouses today can chronicle that stuff. And it's forever memorialized on social media from the moment that the, from the moment that the unit knows they're going, the preparation part starts. So it's not that they're just gone for a year for war, but they're gone literally sometimes the year prior to so that they can prepare. Oh, wow. To be at war. They have to train. They have to know how to use their equipment. You know, they have to know how to work together cohesively. There are so many things. They have to learn how to work in what they call the austere environments. So in order to do that, they have to leave the comforts of home and go to um, a best simulated austere environment within America. And so that means they are gone for three months at a time, 30 days at a time, 90 days at a time uh, to practice so that they can be as ready as one could be for war. And so the families have to support because life doesn't stop. Right. 
The children still have events to do. They still have school. Bills still need to be paid. You know, you still have to interact with um, the in-laws. Those things still need to take place. And in order for your um, significant other to be the best that they can be while they're doing their job as a service member, they need to be comfortable that home is taken care of. And so, you know, you're dealing with the separation. Now you're single parenting in a marriage. Like, wow, that's weird. But I'm yeah. single parenting. You know, you're single parenting within a marriage right. and still fielding the questions from the family member, you know, from like my husband's mom and, and his sisters and brothers. You know, have you heard from him? How are things going? Um, I saw this on the news. Is oh. he over here? Was he at that place when he got bombed? You know? What are you doing? How are you fielding those things? You know, it's a lot that goes into it. I remember for that um, that first tour in 03, he gotten a, they get to call us every now and then on what they call a sat phone. And we were on what I'm probably maybe like the third time he had gotten a chance to call. And I could hear the rockets coming in. You get oh boom, boom, boom. And so it's like, is that? What I think it is, because being around the military, they train all the time. So you know what it sounds like because you hear mm-hmm. it when they're in the training areas. And then it becomes real because this is not training. And he says, yeah, babe, I'm probably going to have to go because it's getting closer. And so we were oh in the midst of saying our goodbyes and the line cut. <gasps> so I'm like, oh, my God. Um. Did my husband just die on this phone with me? You can't call back. You can't call back? You can't email. No, you can't call back. It's a one-way call. You can't call back. You have to wait for them to call you. How long was it before he called you? About four days. Four days. What was that time like for you? About four days. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare because you're thinking, what do I tell my children? What am I going to do? What do I tell my mother-in-law, my brothers and my, my in-laws? Like, what do I do? And, you know, of course, the next thing is I need to tell my mama. I got to call my mama, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> like I, oh I want my mom and dad, right, at mm-hmm. this point. So um, after that happened, you do get the phone calls because when they happen, when things happen, there's a process and you get the phone calls that says, okay, come in. We're going to meet. This happened. This happened. This is what we know. And then you wait for the update. And you're terrified when you get a knock on the door and you're terrified when you ring the doorbell and you're standing back and trying to see who it is and count how many people it is because that tells you if you have one person show up then he's hurt if you have some people show up that you don't know he's hurt if you have them show up and you do know and it's three of them and you know one of them then you know they're dead oh there's a whole process like that oh my gosh it's a process and so it's a part of the process getting ready you pick who you want to deliver that news to your spouse. And it's somebody that you know. You want it to be somebody that you know that will be able to spend that time with them as they go through that process um, if if they were killed while they were in, um, killed in action. It's a, it's a whole process. Things are in place. I mean, you can't make that, you know, an easy thing. But right. uh, um, they do the best that they can. They do the best that they can. And so you, as a spouse, you know, so you, you hate to hear the the doorbell ring. Right. Hate to hear someone knock on the door because you don't know who's on the other end. Then God forbid somebody shows up in a uniform, you know, it's like, what are you doing? Why are you here? So yeah. four days later, he called you. Were you home when you received this call or were you out and about? No, no, I was home. You, you don't leave the phone. 
you know, okay. you don't take that, that chance. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right, it's like, okay. okay, I am not taking that chance to miss him. Did I have a cell phone? Absolutely. Um, but at that time, you know, you had a house phone too. So yeah. I don't want to miss whatever number he calls because they only get a limited amount of time. And if he makes that phone call and I'm not there, I don't want to hear the voicemail. Right. I want to talk to you. So what yeah. was the first thing that you said so to him? In that four days, he called. Uh, the first, when it was his voice, you know, I just cried like, thank God. Yeah. You know, because you, you recognize the numbers, like it's certain sequences of numbers that they use. And after they've done it a few times, you kind of recognize what some of those sequences are. Yeah. And it comes, you know, and I saw the number and I picked it up and it was him, you know, and all I could do is cry. Right. Cause it's like, okay, now I can breathe again. Yeah. Like, thank because God. Because it's you. Oh yeah. Because it's you, you know. You know, and some of them got to send out an email, depending on the severity of the damage, determines mm-hmm. how long it will take them to call or how long it will take them to email to say, I'm okay. Wow. And then you get the information back um, through what we call the chain of command. Mm-hmm. And you count yourself blessed because your spouse survived, but someone else's spouse did not, right. you know. Um, one of the first deaths to take place as a member of our church. Uh, the uh, wife was a service member and the uh, husband was a civilian. And they had four girls. Oh my gosh. And his wife didn't get to come home. Oh my God. You know, it's like, wow. You're, you're excited that, because they were, my husband and, and, and she were in the same unit. Absolutely excited that my husband came back. But his news wasn't as good as my news. Right. So, I mean, there's there's so many different things that the military spouses experience that, you're right, it's not shared. I don't think that it's shared enough because I cannot imagine the mind, what goes through the minds of my friends as moms. Mm-hmm. I have to leave my children to go right. and serve my country. Right. Because this is what mommy does for a living. You know, I, I can't even imagine the thought. I can't imagine. Right. I can't imagine my husband's thoughts being, you know, the a father. But I'm a mom. Right. You know, it's like wow, it's different. It's yeah. different, right? It hits it's a different. little different, right? It hits, yes, it hits <laughs> very differently. Very, very differently. Wow. Um, wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm so happy he's fine and okay. <laughs> How has this last year been for you and in, in your family in terms of the social unrest that we continue to see on the news? Um, I know that your family was, your, all your kids are older, but they were home. So how was that for yeah. you, for you all? Um, it was, it's actually, it was a continuation of an ongoing conversation. So mm-hmm. um, I was born and raised in a small town in Mississippi. So it wasn't new for me. Mm-hmm. My husband was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. His so was my husband. All right now. <laughs> in the East. <laughs> all right. All right. Yes, yes, yes. My, um, <laughs> they live in the East. My husband grew up on Bienville Street. Okay. My husband and grew up on Mackenzie Street. I don't know. I know it when McDonough I see it. McDonough 35. <laughs> that's all I know is that that's where he went to yeah. high school is McDonough 35. <laughs> That's yeah. great. So when, when my husband was in high school, his family moved to Mississippi. So which okay. is how I met him. Praise God. So yay. I, I'm happy about that. But, you know, having having what both of us having grown up in the deep south, you learn to live life as a black person mm-hmm. at a very early age. You learn to live life as a black person. You understand um, what those differences are. You understand where, you know, the limitations that are placed on you. You understand the systemic racism. Before the word systemic racism was a thing, growing up as a Black person in the South, you just, you knew that. That was Mm -hmm. 
trained in you uh, by your family members, and if not by them, by life, when you're going out into the world as a Black person growing up in the South. And so my children have a very different experience. Mm -hmm. They grew up in a multicultural society within the military to where just because the husband is Black does not mean the wife was Black. The wife may have been Filipino, Japanese, Mexican, Puerto Rican, Dominican, anything, you know. So they were accustomed to seeing that multicultural society. And so when Trayvon Martin was killed, we lived in England. Oh, okay. And so it's like, okay, it's time to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. At that time, my oldest was the ninth, in the ninth grade. My youngest was in the uh, second grade. And we hadn't really had like in-depth conversations with them, but they needed to understand the significance of what happened, especially after that verdict came back. And to them, initially, mom, dad, you're racist. That's not how the world works. And so how do you explain it to them? Like they probably undoubtedly had experienced it themselves, but on a, on a smaller level than what they would have if they had not grown up in this melting pot called the military community. And as each one of them got older and began to leave home, because from 2010 until 2017, we lived in Europe. So they were in these little tucked away places where certain things didn't, they didn't see it. So to them, we were exaggerating and it's not that bad. And the oldest left and he went to Prairie View down in, um, in Prairie View, Texas. And he calls back. He's like, mom, dad, this, 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 and this happened. I got stopped. This happened or that happened. And I remember what you said and one after the other, after the other, after the other. And our middle, uh, our daughter, she actually began to experience it prior to leaving home. And it happened on a cheer team. We homeschooled our children for a number of years. And uh, Dodia allowed us to do that co-op thing. So anyway, Mm -hmm. she was a cheer team on the cheer team and different other things for the high school. And she experienced it um, with her hair. She had decided to go natural. Oh, yeah. And the problem came, you know, you and that conversation had to be had. And so we came back to America to spend some time in the South to help her with mm-hmm. that, with finding your identity. We didn't get to do it with the older two boys because we didn't think to do it. Right. But with our, our middle son, our daughter and our youngest son, I did that. I, had, I would come back and stay 30 days at a time and let them identify with who they are. You know, I just tap into your blackness. This is who you are. And it's wonderful. And it's a blessing. We face some adversities, but you you don't want to be anything other than who you are. And so by the time everything happened with um, with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and everyone else that the world has seemingly forgot about that happened during that time, those conversations were had with us during the pandemic in a very different way um, because now they had a better understanding Okay, this is what you guys have been trying to tell us. This is what we were experiencing as a young as as young adults now. Um, and even having a conversation where my <clears throat> my middle son, he was walking from our house to my mom's house. And he got stopped. We hadn't been back in the States, but maybe two weeks. Oh my gosh. Freshly just we're still trying to figure out our days from our nights like he's still not sleeping right <laughs> oh my and gosh because he hadn't he was still asleep we left and we drove to my parents and my parents don't live that far from us so the walk was reasonable and he got stopped because he fit a description oh. and that was a terrifying moment for him oh yeah it was a terrifying moment for us Absolutely. And he said, I cannot believe. And then was there a person breaking in homes? There had been. And when they eventually caught him, did he look like my son? Not, not at all. No. <laughs> this guy, um, my son had on jeans and a white T-shirt. This guy, yes, he had on jeans and a white T-shirt. He had dreads. My son is very clean cut. 
Mm-hmm. He keeps it all over even. I mean, he is the poster child for if I put some glasses on him, he'd look just like Steve Urkel. <laughs> he does not fit a description. He was right. just black and didn't recognize him. Right. And, you know, we thank God he called us. And that's a conversation that we got to have during um, during this time of the lockdown, like sharing some experiences of what happened. And You know, we had an opportunity to share with them one of our very first experience as a couple being pulled over, mm-hmm. um, driving my black. Um, and we got to share that and, you know, what it felt like. Had me and my husband individually ever been pulled over, of course. This time it was a bit different because we were together and it was very helpless. Um, the way that we were made to feel you knew you were pulled over because you were black. There was no doubt about mm-hmm. it. We were coming, mm-hmm. we were coming from a formal ball. The military throws formal balls for just about everything. Yeah. And this was a Christmas ball. I was in my my nice gown, and my husband was in his dress uniform, and we have to be driving a really nice car. And we got pulled over. You know, questions asked from everything from you. Do you have drugs? Do you have weapons? Oh my gosh. How how do you afford this? And I'm sitting here like, look, he's oh in. Oh, my gosh. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? Like, you know, you get pulled out of the car, thrown over the hood and treated. And, with he's, no in his, he's, and he's in his uniform. It doesn't matter. These things are not. Right. Right. Just being right. Filmed, now. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. These, these things are not new. It's just being filmed. You know, black people now have a voice and a platform yeah. uh, to share that yeah. voice. And, you know, it happens. And so these are the conversations that we got to have with them. But most important from those conversations is this is what's happening. Your generation can definitely affect change. But don't let that stop you from growing. Don't let that stop you from achieving the things that you want to achieve in life. Because with God, all things are possible. Yes. So you, we can. it doesn't matter what man has said or done or systems they've put in place. What is meant for you, as long as you don't walk away from it. The Lord will equip you to obtain and maintain every blessing he has for you. Absolutely. And that's, you know, those are really the points of those conversations, but they have to be had, you know, how, because our children have to navigate life as, as young black people. And yes. Yeah. It's just so sad how young we have to start. Yeah. <laughs> and I it feel is. like they can't even be innocent children anymore. It's like, they have to know everything and not, and we as parents are always on edge and don't want them going anywhere because mm-hmm. of the fear of. Yeah. What could I happen. mean, even within the school system, it was that mm-hmm. the reason that we started homeschooling was my oldest was more than a handful. Let's be clear. <laughs> he, he was more than a handful. <laughs> but the level of punishments that were given mm-hmm. to him Versus his buddies that he was doing yep. it with. Mm. And it's like, wow, okay. So this is what we're not going to do. All right. You will not do that to him. Because the Lord has blessed us with the ability to afford you not being able to do that to him. All right. And that's, that's really why we started to homeschool. Um, because we did not want that version of systemic racism um, to to impact their ability to be kids. Kids mm-hmm. will do what kids will do. Some kids are rambunctious. Some kids are hyper. You know, everybody's not built the same, but at the end of the day, children are children. And if they cannot get into stuff without you labeling them and sending them off to the schoolhouse version of a jail, Mm. then they have no childhood. Right. You know, me and my husband, I, I, the number of stupid things that we did in high school, <laughs> you know, right, right, or in right. junior high. Right. That, you know, the worst thing, and, and that was a beautiful thing. You, you didn't look at it then, but growing up in the South and did we grow up in impoverished neighborhoods? Absolutely. So that meant the teachers looked like us. Mm-hmm. They went to our churches, you know, our parents probably went to school with them and knew them. And 
So when we did those things, you just just give me a detention. Don't call my mom. Right. Please don't talk to my mom in the grocery store. <laughs> you know, <laughs> can we just down between ourselves? I, I promise, you know, Miss Smith, I won't do it again. I won't do it again. Right, right. So instead of our children growing up with that, they were growing up with something very different that, you know, instead of calling me, you wrote him up 10 times. Then you call me at that 10th time because the 11th time said you're going to send him to an alternative school because he was late. Should he have been late? Absolutely not. He was lollygagging in the hallways. Here's a 3.5 GPA, but he's at the alternative school because the 10th time justified through the system. But the system says you can only get so many infractions. Doesn't matter the infraction. Doesn't matter what your grades are. Yeah, doesn't matter what your aptitude is. It doesn't. And it's really designed for one thing. We know what it's designed for. Right. And you will not do that to my child. And so, you know, I thank God um, for the opportunities being a military spouse afforded us, Uh, being a military family afforded us because some parents, because it afforded my husband the benefits of housing. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to pay for my house. I didn't have to pay for my utilities. So there was some things that other families, civilian families, have to um, pay for that's a benefit of his military service that afforded me the ability to be a stay-at-home mom mm-hmm. and still you know, maintain quality of life, standard of living, and homeschool my kids yeah. so that they would not get caught up in, in that system and by the time they graduated, the choice that they made, do I want to go to the college? Do I want to go to a tech school? Do I want to just go into the workforce? It was a choice they made, not because of societal pressure. So this is the limits that you have. It was a free choice for them. Right. And no matter what they chose, they, they can do it. Um, so yeah. after years of compartmentalizing, com- I can I can never say that word. Um, your gifts, God has charged you with the task <laughs> of helping others become the best version of themselves. How are you doing this? By His grace. So <laughs> one of the things, um, one of the biggest tools that I really use is my experience as a military spouse. Honestly. Mm-hmm. I I draw from those experiences. Um, I draw from my life experiences. I am a John Maxwell certified uh, facilitator, coach, and trainer. I'm also certified through John Maxwell to administer disc assessments as well. So those are things, you know, you you ask yourself, okay, as an adult, what do I want to be when I grow up? I know what I thought I wanted to be, but now what do I really want to be? (laughs) And (laughs) through... um, through ministry, I realized that encouraging people, uh, teaching and developing people was something that I really, truly enjoyed. And I was able to do that uh, through ministry, my husband and I, through um, marriage, not marriage ministry, but small group studies, yeah. whether we were doing marriage retreats and seminars or, or just doing women's fellowships or our own fellowship. And that was something that I really loved. And so when he retired and I'm thinking, okay, what are we going to do when we grow up? Lord, I want to do this and I want to do it on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. And how can I be effective at doing that outside of the four walls of the church? Um, And becoming John Maxwell certified was a part of that journey, you know, and there's so many women, so many men and women, no matter where they are in their journeys of life, I found that at the core of that, most of us don't know who we are. Mm-hmm. And that creates a plethora of problems in the home. Um, if you're married, if you're single with the children, when you don't know who you are and I don't know whose I am, then I'm just grasping at every little thing, trying to find my identity. Mm-hmm. And whether I make a lot of money while I'm doing it or not, I feel empty. There's a void. And so that's the, that's the gift that God has given me to help people identify their purpose. Not that I know what your purpose is. 
Right. I'm I'm a conduit. I'm here to help you lock in on what that purpose is. And then once you do, help you put together an actionable plan to pursue purpose. And I just love being a part of that journey. So what would be like your biggest um, message to other other moms, let's say? So my biggest message to other moms is, is the very first lesson that I learned as a Christian woman, as an adult Christian woman is mm-hmm. know who you are. Yeah. You being, oftentimes we get caught up in being wife and mom. Yeah. We're so caught up in being wife and mom, we lose us. Like that little girl that grew up through high school and college, if you went to college well or whatever, confident, I'm a take on the world, you know, it, wherever you wherever you were in that last moment where you knew your confidence was through the roof and that you were determined you were gonna take hold of the world and own it, let's find her. Let's find her and who she is right now. And it was the lesson that the Lord taught me. I realized that at age 25, I had no idea who I was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know any of that. If someone asked me, look, what do you like? I would reference things that I knew I liked in high school, but I'm 25. Is that still valid? Is that still relevant to me today? But I could tell you everything about my children, right. all five of them. I knew what they liked. I could tell you a ton of stuff about what my husband liked. I can tell you that I would tell people I love to read, but what was the last good book that I read? Um, mm-hmm. The Bible, which is good, <laughs> but does that really mean I love to read? And he showed me who I was. This so is do you, who you are. Um, and no, it's going to say like when we know who we are and put that as a level of importance in your life, mm. the hats you wear as wife and mom will be easier. Yes. It'll be so much easier when we put that priority, that priorities in perspective like that. When you're working with, say, a mom um, and you're wanting them to prioritize themselves, what are your suggestions for them? So one of the one of the first things that I do would say that in my 15 minute consultation, we have an informal conversation. Uh, and in that fo- informal conversation, if they decide that they want to continue and it's in an informal conversation, I'm asking qualifying questions um, to get them mm-hmm. to think past their children and their significant other. And in those qualifying questions, usually the light bulbs start to come on for on their own, right? Mm-hmm. And if they decide to partner with me, the very first thing that we do is go through um, at that disc assessment. And then we, for like our first two appointments, we really break down that disc assessment. And a lot of times people are like, wow, okay. And when we're going through that breakdown of that disc assessment, it also helps me to craft uh relevant questions for that client for mm-hmm. our next sessions. Cause we, our sessions are 45 minutes. Um, I prefer uh, a virtual sessions versus over the phone. Cause that person to personal contact is important because it's really important to, to help a sister feel relevant and feel like, okay, there's a path going. I'm working on something that is going to be mine and mine alone mm-hmm. and something that's where I can show my value because I have value. And if the sister thinks she doesn't have value in that, you see your value. If she says, okay, I know I have value, but I don't know what to do. Like I'm stuck. Okay. Let's help you get past these stuck points. And that, that disc assessment is very necessary and having that conversation um, and those qualifying questions in that conversation. It's so amazing how, the person just really like light bulbs in dark spaces open up for them in their mind. It's like, wow. Okay. I see the world in color now. You know, it's like, like let's get it. Let's go. You know, and if, and if yeah. the person is a Christian, cause not all of our client, my clients are Christian. If a person is a Christian um, prayer is an important part of that. 
Absolutely. Prayer is a, is a very important part of that and uh, significant uh, scriptures and um and studies along the way are very, uh, very important. And, and those are tools that I utilize on that end. So like um, if it's a couple, uh, I'm a pre- preparing and rich um, facilitator, certified preparing and rich facilitator, and those things go together. And it's, it's really causing people to ask the right questions mm-hmm. so that they come up with their own answers. Right. What would you tell your teenage self? Ooh, <laughs> I would tell my teenage self, slow down. It is going to be okay. Um, because I made some choices in my teenage self <laughs> based off emotions that were through the roof. Um, and some, and some, and some decisions because it's like, Oh, I want him to be my husband. And he said he wanted to be my husband. So I have to do this, this, and this. I made some dumb choices. He made some dumb choices. Mm -hmm. So I would say to my teenage self, listen, you guys are going to be together. Slow down. Take your time. And you're going to accomplish that goal in the end, you know? Um, as, as teenagers, like I said, we met in high school and I did get pregnant in high school. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I had my first child, um, when I was in 11th grade, that was, that was, that was different. <laughs> that was That's different. a lot of conversation. Yes. <laughs> That's great. So you were 17, 16. I got pregnant when I was 16. I had the baby at 17. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it was very different, um, and some of those, like I said, some of those choices um, came out of my foolishness. I can't. I, that choice wasn't even something that he asked me to do. He honored my mm-hmm. chastity. Like we met, I said that's not what's going to happen because this is what I believe, and he honored that the entire time we were dating. That mm-hmm. came out of this mind. Mm-hmm. This bad decision, he was just not gonna fight it. <laughs> it's like yeah, you know, exactly. he's a guy. He's just yeah, not gonna exactly. fight it. It's like, but I thought you, like I thought you said. I know what I said, <laughs> but I'm saying this now. Are you sure? Yes, I'm saying this now. And praise God, He winks at our yeah. foolishness. And His plan, perfect plan, was always for us to be together. Yeah. But some dumb choices were made, and I would tell myself, my young self. Don't do it. He's not going nowhere. There's a reason why he honored your decision. Just work mm-hmm. with that. <laughs> you know, just work with that. But that's amazing that you guys have been together ever since and that you're married and still married. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's oh, like a rarity. Like then. it's it's a rarity that you hear that though. It, like teenage mom, you know, right. you married when you you met when you were 15, then you ha- got pregnant and then you got married and you know, 20. 24 years later, right? Yeah, we, um, I met him when I was 15. We dated for a few years um, and I did get pregnant. We still continue to be together. Like if, if he would have had it his way between his family and um, my grandparents, I would have been married at 16. I was not ready for that. Like, that's too much pressure. I'm already pregnant, yeah. y'all. I don't, I don't want to be a wife, what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> if he would have, if they would have had it that way, I would have been married. Then. Um, thank God that did not happen. Thank God for my dad. He was the voice of reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> mistakes do not need to be made right now. Um, but I, I, I did get married at 18. So, in mm-hmm. uh, you know, there, there's a lot of history there. And like I said, I, I use those tools because I did not have an identity. I was busy trying to wrap my identity in him and my value and my self-worth in him and relationship that I did not take the time to develop who I was. And we, I see that a lot in my military community. I mean, I, I see that a lot in young people in general now. You know, you're wrapping yourself so much into this thing that you're not exploring who you are and even like you said you know now the values of family are so askew that uh, you have no idea how many times um 
especially when the children were younger. I remember we were going to a medical appointment because we had to go through medical appointments um, in order to get our visas to live in England. And we were going through those appointments. And so here we are with our tribe, right? And every single nurse or physician or whoever we had to see, we were like, well, which spouse are you? The only one. It is me, myself, and I. So it was automatically assumed that we were a mixed family. Like, no, huh. these are mine and these are his. I gave birth <laughs> to them. Trust me, I've got the stretch marks to prove it. Right, right, right. <laughs> they are his, you know. And the look of amazement mm-hmm. when we go places. Like, wow, you've been together how long? And all these your children? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of happens when you're married for a long time. Right, right, but. right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right, people, we've been told that we're abnormal. Aren't we, though? <laughs> I thought that was the intent of marriage, you know? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, healthy marriage. I don't think there's enough right. information out there, enough things that are promoting healthy marriage. A lot, of, a lot of things are coming out now in the Black community to promote healthy marriage. Um, and it's long overdue. Totally. Yeah. My parents are about to celebrate their 47th anniversary, which I'm very proud of. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Me and my husband are about to celebrate our 16th on July 15th. Awesome. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, No, it's not extinct. (laughs) It's not. It's like, you know, marriage is a beautiful institution. It's an amazing journey. Now, if you're lazy, you're not going to make it. But if you put in the work. (laughs) It's work, right? <laughs> it's worth it, though. Yeah, it is. It's it it's it is it is in so many different ways. And we were for the Fourth of July holiday. We were in Mississippi visiting both of my grandmothers. So, and we were just looking at the generations that were represented there. So, my grandmothers. So that's my kids' great grandmothers, and my grandchildren's great great grandmothers. Right? Oh my, that's amazing. And I'm thinking, I was like, babe. I want to be healthy and active and because both of my grandmothers are firecrackers. I want to be that much loving life, loving the Lord, still moving when my grandchildren are having children. Right. Like, you know, my grandmothers are still in their yard doing what they want to do, holding the great, great grandbabies. Right. Marriage is a beautiful thing. Yeah. You get that. You get beautiful moments like that out of marriage. Right. Yeah. It's beautiful. How old are your grandmothers, your grandparents? 91 and 88. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) That's beautiful. I love it. It's awesome. It's awesome. Now, with everything that you're doing, um, you're a busy mom, grandma, wife, um, and business owner, what do you do for self-care? Oh, so that's important. It is very important. <laughs> it's so so not I have non-negotiable things that take place in my life. And one of them is my morning coffee. That is non-negotiable. Yep. Whether I'm yep. drinking coffee or hot tea, and I don't do it at home. I learned to not do it at home. I used to do it at home and found out that I'd be trapped in my office for hours upon hours. So I started being intentional about going out. So there's this little mom and pop cafe about a mile and a half from my house. I'm there by 7 a.m. Every day. Later than 7.30. Except for Sundays. Yeah. Except for Sundays. And I'm there. I take, they have free Wi-Fi, so I take my laptop. I will do work while I'm there, but I'm going to have a few cups of coffee. If it's if I feel like it's going to be tea this week, I bring my tea bags, and I'm a regular, and so it's a mom and pop, so they know. They just yeah. bring, if I got tea bags, they bring my, my cafe or hot water. If I don't, they set my coffee and water, no ice and a lemon in front of me and ask, are we working today or are you eating today? pop out my book and I just, that's my me time. Put my headphones in, 
whether I'm praying, meditating, whatever, that's my space. That's my zone. And it's non-negotiable. And generally, nobody is invited. Like, this is, this is my time. You could come later. Give me at least two hours before you join me for breakfast. So if someone says, hey, Liquidica, you want to do breakfast? They know that I have that time and you can come after then. I'll be there and you can come, but don't come until after nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. I and those are non-negotiable. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. It's like, I'm so not. <laughs> I'm so, this is not happening. And even on Saturdays or like if my husband's on vacation or something, we will go together, but it's still non-negotiable. Like he is unplugged in his space and I am unplugged in my space and it works, right? It works. Right. So after we've had that decompression time, then we have a lovely breakfast or a lovely lunch or brunch or whatever the case might be. We'll discuss some things that may need to be discussed at that time. Um, especially if we're mad at each other because who's going <laughs> to act up in public? <laughs> yes, so it's a safe space to have a hard conversation. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's intentional, right? Yes, you have to be intentional. Yes. You make sure it has to be intentional. And then the other thing that I've, I learned, we learned to do as a family was be intentional about vacations. Mm-hmm. Irregardless of the cost of the vacation, like money is always an objective there. But one of the things we learned when we moved um, to Europe, Europeans work very hard. They work very, very hard, but they play harder. Mm -hmm. And it's important. Where we may spend $2,700 for the new 72-inch flat screen, they'll spend that same money and go for a month stay at an all-inclusive in Tahiti. Mm-hmm. Well, let's think about that. Which one would be better? <laughs> exactly. It's not a typical American thought, right? <laughs> you know, and so we learned to be very intentional about finding a getaway. And so where we are in life right now, where I am right now, <clears throat> prior to COVID, about every three, four months, I would int- intentionally we're going somewhere. I don't care if we just drive to the next city over. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. But somewhere for the weekend, you know, it's like, okay, my best friend owns a timeshare. You're looking at the budget. Eh, I want to get away, but eh, that says no. Call up your friends. Hey, you can space at your timeshare. Sure. All right. That cost me 50 bucks. I can swing that. Or... Mm-hmm. How are you guys doing? Can we come over for the weekend? Just something to get you out of your space mm-hmm. and be intentional about it. And it Where's makes your... a difference. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Where's your favorite place to travel? So hmm, it's a couple things. It's a couple of them. So I would say England is my favorite place to travel because I know a lot of people there mm-hmm. and they come from different countries. So every time I pop over to somebody's house, so if I'm going to, if I'm going to be in the UK for 30 days, I probably would have stayed in three different homes f- from two different African nations and from Jamaica. So that makes my belly very happy. Yes, <laughs> it's you know it's cost effective. The food is good. Mm-hmm. I'm relaxed. You know we have good friends. We have a conversation with. So that would be my favorite place for that reason. Um, but just in terms of say like just a romantic getaway, a nice place that me and my husband have been has to be Barcelona, mm-hmm. Barcelona, Spain. Yeah. Oh man, that was that first time we went there was wow. Okay, we have to come back again and yeah. again and again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we've traveled to so many nice places. Um, I would say Africa, Kenya will be next on my list. We and went there. Love it. Love it. That's Kenya my favorite is place. amazing, isn't oh it? My God. Oh, my I would God. Move, yes. I always tell my husband, I'm like, I would move to Kenya. Just I would sell it all and move to Kenya in a heartbeat. The food, yes. the, people, the culture. I love it everything about so, it. Yes. I, love it. I was like, the first time I went, 
my husband was on assignment in Afghanistan. And so he couldn't, he couldn't meet me, but we were there. I went there to minister mm-hmm. at a um, discipleship graduation. So the, the people from the church that were sponsoring us, they met us at the airport. And the first thing that they said when, um, you know, they had the little signs with our names yeah. and you walk her to the sign. And she said, uh, the pastor's wife said, my sister, welcome home. Yes. That just did something to me on like, the inside. The chills. Yes. 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 That just, it did. I mean, I, I had to stop and was like, mm-hmm. all of the jet lag, because that is not a trip to take lightly. <laughs> so far. <laughs> That's a long ride. <laughs> it's so far. We calculated the whole thing. It was like 36 hours. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's like, oh my God, I'm never going to get there. But it was like in that moment, every weariness just, yes. she did. I, I never met her in person before. She, you know, we recognized each other from the photographs, but the, like you said, the love and just, she said, my sister, welcome home. Uh, wow. I really could be so here. I have no idea, but thank you. Yeah. Yeah, You know, and that whole experience was, like you said, the food, the culture, the people. That trip taught me how much representation matters. Again, it's a term we toss around and you Mm -hmm. can say it with head knowledge. But looking around, seeing people that look like you all of the time. All the time. In spaces, whether it's TV, radio, whatever it is. And they look like you. And it was about my third day in and I was having breakfast. And I'm watching this Coca-Cola commercial. And it just hit me. From the news anchors on MSNBC and CNN Global or CNN World or whatever. All of these people are black. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, you're just programmed to see other races or predominantly white races. And I realized, oh my God, I have not seen that. Every business that we've Went to black people own it everywhere. Mm-hmm. The the resort I was staying in, the owner would come by and visit at least once a day. Lovely lady, lovely lady. It's like wow, that matters yeah. so much more than we realize. It and really yeah, does. it does. It does. I would. Kenya is definitely on my list, and the last place, believe it or not, is the Middle East. I had a great time in Turkey and Kuwait. Okay. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's not at all what you see on TV. I mean, it's some of that stuff is there. Right. But <laughs> that some of that stuff is there, yeah. but the people were amazing. The food is amazing and I was treated like wow. Like, yeah. oh my god, this is this is great, you know. I you is try it. All I can say is try it. Some of the most beautiful beaches in the world are in Turkey, mm-hmm. and like wow, it's a great little secret. Europeans know it; they go there faithfully. <laughs> but as Americans, everything we mm-hmm. everything we see about the Middle East is just so evil, right? And but don't believe it. Listen, people, you listen to this podcast, and you've never been to Africa go some of the best beaches in the world are in kenya yes Yes, they are yes Yes. Yes. you know some of the best resorts and and spaces that you want to visit are are definitely in the middle east you want to do that you want to see Mm -hmm. and have that experience Absolutely. So yeah, those are those are my favorite pl- vacation spots. I love it. But England is England is at the top. It's like second home. So yeah. that's why it's at the top. Yeah. Well, Aquita, I just thank you so much for coming and taking your time tonight to speak with me on my podcast. I wish you all the best with everything. Thank you so much for having me. It has definitely been my pleasure. I've listened to uh, so many episodes and was like, oh, this is nice. I oh, love thank it. Thank you. I appreciate yes. it. You have, like this is this is so it's so needed. It is really so needed. And you know, we need representation in this space. And since you are showing up and showing out. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
have just listened to the Stay at Home Mom Yeah Right podcast with my mom. I hope you enjoy listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you liked it, please give it five stars. Thank you. Thank you.